Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In friends of Christ, uh, Monday morning I sat down at the desk and printed out the lectionary, the readings for the week, and after a little thought I settled on Galatians 6 as the text for the sermon and started translating and immediately ran into problems. First, there's the apparent contradictions in this text. Verse 2, Paul writes, Bear one another's burdens. But in verse 5 he says, For each will have to bear his own load. Well, which is it? Are we going to carry this together or independently? Even more perplexing, though, verse 4 he writes, Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. But then in verse 14 Paul writes, But far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? The rule doesn't apply to Paul? Well, we'll work out those contradictions later. But what really caused me to sit up and take notice was the expression, the law of Christ. Systematic alarm bells went off all over the place. The law of Christ is Paul confusing law and gospel. My carefully highlighted copy of Walter's Law and Gospel, his 39 evening lectures, came to mind. But it's not just Walter. This is a fundamental Reformation distinction. Luther, preaching on Galatians 3, declared, This difference between the law and the gospel is the height of knowledge in Christendom. If this ability is lacking, one cannot tell a Christian from a heathen or a Jew. Close quote. And frankly, we're much more familiar with some different formulations, such as the law of Moses and the gospel of Christ. After all, this epistle begins not with Paul's usual cheerful greeting, rather with this angry incitement, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So let's begin by asking about the relationship between Jesus on the one hand and the law of Moses on the other hand. In Luke's account, Jesus begins his ministry after the temptation in the wilderness in his hometown in Nazareth in chapter 4, and he's rejected. So he goes to Capernaum, and he's teaching on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Matthew and Mark recording the same incident add, and not as their scribes, those who were trained in the law of Moses. Jesus regularly disregarded Mosaic rules of association. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Even worse, he played fast and loose with the, with the Sabbath. Luke 13. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. What happens? Jesus laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue is fit to be tied. There's six days of the week to do that. What are you doing this on the Sabbath? But it really comes to a head in, Mark, in Luke 6, after the disciples are busted for, what, picking ears of grain and crushing them with their hands and popping them in their mouths. The Pharisees challenged him, Why are your disciples doing what it is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus' response, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Despite all these challenges by Jesus to the law of Moses, 
It's under the law of Moses that he dies. For that very claim, that he was the Son of Man, all caps. The charge was blasphemy, and it was a valid charge, except that it was true. John records, the Jews answered Pilate, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Pilate was even more afraid after that, but in the end, his fear of the crowd was greater than his fear of Jesus' origins. So Jesus became a curse for us. As we read earlier in Galatians chapter 3, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That's our condition, right? You and I, we fail to do the works of the law as we confessed earlier, that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from that sinful condition. Paul continues in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from under the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ died under the law of Moses, the sinless sacrifice for us sinners. You are forgiven. That is the gospel of Christ. But it is also the law of Christ, that perplexing expression that we started with. And the interpretive key is the start of verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Christ bore our burden, the guilt of our sins to the cross. The filth of our lives covered his nakedness and mingled in the blood that dripped to the earth beneath. The shame of our conscience was his burial cloths. But God raised him from death, giving us life in him. And it all starts with his first words on the cross, as Luke records them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And for Christ's sake, he does. And in Christ's footsteps, we fulfill the law of Christ by forgiving. Luther, commenting on our text, writes, But if we are able to bear and overlook our own faults and sins, which we commit in such great number every day, let us bear those of others as well, in accordance with the statement, bear one another's burdens, and ye shall love your neighbor as yourself. Close quote. It's not an easy task. Our failure under the law of Moses ought to give us a heads up on the difficulty of this one as well. But knowing how much Christ has forgiven me, I have to forgive. I must forgive. Corey Tenboom told of not being able to forget a wrong that had been done to her. She had forgiven the individual, but she kept rehashing it over and over in her mind. She couldn't sleep. Finally, she cried out to God for help in putting it to rest. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor, Corey writes, to whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. Up in the church tower, the pastor said, nodding out the window, the bell is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? The sexton lets go of the rope, but it keeps swinging. Ding, then dong, slower and slower, until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe, the pastor says, that the same thing is true for forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hands off the rope. 
But if we've been tugging on it a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts come back. They're just dings and dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be in Corey's case. A few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in conversation. But the force, the willingness in the matter had gone out. It became less and less until finally it stopped altogether. So she fulfilled the law of Christ. So we also can fulfill the law of Christ by being burden bearers. That casts a whole new light on the question, the contradictions we mentioned earlier. First, boasting in ourselves versus boasting in the cross. Boasting, we, we normally consider this a negative activity, right? And the Bible is filled with warnings about boasting. Proverbs 25, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift that he does not give. In 1 Kings 20, we read about a confrontation between King Ahab and Ben-Hadad. He's the king of Syria. Hadad had drawn up his army. He stood along with 32 other kings. That's 33 to 1, not good odds. And they had their horses and chariots. And he sent a messenger to Ahab. Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and your children are mine. The messengers are returned, the messengers are sent back and forth. And finally, Ahab sends him this message. Tell him, let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as one who takes it off. God gave the multitude into the hand of Ahab, the king of Israel. Ahab took off his armor. Ben-Hadad's was stripped from his corpse. Herein lies the true reason to boast. Not my works, but God's mercy. God gave to Ahab the victory. God gives to us forgiveness in the cross of Christ. The law of Christ, boasting in Christ, the cross of Christ, are all summarized in verses 15 and 16. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. The new creation that is ours in baptism. Through water and the word, the old Adam in us is daily drowned and dies with all sin and evil desires. And a new man, a new woman, emerges daily to walk before God in righteousness and purity. Bearing one another's burdens. We demonstrate that that new creation, not by compulsion, but as part of our identity. This is who we are. We are the ones who walk by this rule, this law of Christ. I know rule sounds harsh. It sounds like Old Testament. It sounds like the law of Moses and a return to works righteousness. And while the Galatians, while we will not be saved by works, we will also certainly true that we will not be saved without works. They're the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit. Christ bore our sins to the cross so that we might be burden bearers. In his book, Stories for the Journey, William White tells about a European seminary prof named Hans and his wife Enid. World War II first forced them to flee to America where he found a teaching job in a seminary on this side of the pond. He was a gentle, warm, beloved professor. His students said of him, he brought scripture to life for us. What better epitaph for a teacher? Hans and Enid were very much in love. 
Nearly every day, they took long walks together holding hands. They always sat very close to each other in the pew at church. That is, until Enid died, and Hans was overwhelmed with sorrow. Worried because he would neither eat nor take walks, the seminary president, along with three other friends, visited him regularly, but he remained lonely and depressed, experiencing the dark night of the soul. Hans told his friends, I'm no longer able to pray to God. In fact, I'm not even sure I still believe in God. After a moment of silence, the seminary president said, Then we will believe for you. We will make your confession for you. We will pray for you. So the four men met daily for prayer, asking God to restore the gift of faith. Faith is God's gift. They prayed that God would restore the gift of faith to their friend. Many months later, as the four gathered with Hans, he smiled and said, It is no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like you to pray with me. The dark night of the soul had passed. Dear friends in Christ, let us take Paul's words to heart. If anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone stumbles in the faith, in confession, if anyone needs our prayers or our support, let us bear one another's burdens, for in so doing, truly, we fulfill the law of Christ. Christ bore our sin to the cross. By his stripes we are healed, so that we might be burden bearers for our brothers and sisters. Or as Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now may the peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.